Good morning to you all. I see your car started this morning. Or you got a ride or took the bus, I'm not sure. Actually, I don't know if we have buses up here. Uh, it has been so cold. And, uh, I, you know, I've never had this happen to me ever. But Friday I went to drive my car and three of the four tires were flat. And uh, so uh, I, I just happened to be talking to my son, Josh, who's a mechanic at a tire shop. And he said, oh, this week we've had lots of tires, flat tires come in and there's no holes in them. And he said, Dad, cold just does things. So I have just a little compressor that's used for uh, a pin nailer. And uh, so it takes a little while to fill up each tire with it. And so I think I was out there about 45 minutes filling up tires. I had gloves on, but I came in the house and my hands were so cold. So I thought, oh, I rem you remember when you were a kid and you get so distracted outside, you get really cold, and then it starts to thaw and it starts to hurt. That's what it was going through. And I, I thought, well, I haven't felt that in a long time. And I remember I used to run it under warm water. <sighs> Whew, that hurt. And then I, I, I sat down on the couch after and I looked at my hands and they were purple. And I went, okay, that never happened when I was younger. And uh, if you know or don't know, I turned 60 last Friday. And uh, I thought, well, I guess this is getting old or something. I don't know what this is. The purple eventually went away, but uh, so I only freaked out for a few minutes. You know, the hypochondriac kicks in and you get all worried. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, it may be cold outside, but it's warm in here. The fellowship, the love of the Holy Spirit, uh, the fellowship of the saints, oh God, thank you. Thank you that we get to meet in a church. And uh, yeah, we have restrictions, but we're still meeting. And so we're going to take it. And uh, thank you, God, because I know how critical, how important it is that the church gathers together. We so desperately need each other. Uh, we need each other's gifts to minister to each other. We need each other's encouragement. And we actually need each other's uh, hard words sometimes when we're misbehaving as followers of Christ. And so, thank you, God, for this time together. And as we go into your word in Second Thessalonians, uh, would you just add a blessing? I, I just want less of me and more of you this morning. Uh, would, your, would your Holy Spirit's power just come through powerfully? In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, we've been in, uh, in Second Thessalonians, and I said each week I'd bring you a little bit of what the city was like. Um, and... It's funny, I, I, I looked this up, I Googled it, and I thought, oh, this sounds really awesome. I checked the facts, make sure it was right. Uh, the city of, or the town, of Thessalonica was founded about 300 years before this letter was written uh, by King Cassander of Macedon. And uh, he, he named the city after his wife, Thessalonica, a half-sister of Alexander the Great. Didn't know that, that was interesting. And uh, of course she gained that name uh, in a battle um, that uh, they won, Alexander the Great won, and a really cool thing. Uh, Thessalonica developed rapidly as early as the second century BC. It, it had its first walls built around then which uh, were enclosed and it protected the city and the city also became an autonomous part of the kingdom of Macedon. And uh, so really cool and it became fairly big city and uh, so in other words, with its own parliament, a king was represented that could interfere in the city domestic affairs, and that was about it. But uh, uh, that's Thessalonica. 
a really cool city. And, and as you know, the church is still in Thessalonica today. A lot of the Middle East, some of the churches in the book of Revelation, all that's left there are ruins. Um, they have been pushed out by other uh, faiths that have come in. And I wanted to start this morning by kind of talking about something that's maybe disturbed you for years. And, and I, I, I hope today's message will maybe unwrap or unravel some of your own confusion around this world and your own life and the things you've gone through. Um, I, I think we all know that the scriptures, the Bible teaches that there's sin in the world. Everybody agree with that? You've experienced it? And I, I don't mean, I mean people have sinned against you, you've sinned against others. There is sin in this world. Uh, I think we all know that the Bible teaches that God's holding back his wrath towards sin. And there's a reason for that as the scriptures teach it so that every tribe and nation will hear. That's why Uganda, uh, that's why we send people there to minister to them. Uh, this last week I even came across an old friend in Ecuador and I remember he's now vice president of some big university in Ecuador. Uh, when I went to visit him 15 years ago, he was president of a small little university in a little city. And I remember when I visited him, he was trying to deal with corruption too. And I thought, man, as I heard the story this morning from Colette, I mean from uh, Ruth and the gang there, uh, the church has been a great influence, I think, in the world. All we hear is all the negative that we supposedly have done. But we live in a world with sin, and God's holding back his wrath against sin. And I remember the first time this comprehended in my mind was, I was really upset by how I was being treated. I think somebody had cheated me out of some money. And I remember saying, God, why don't you deal with sin? Why don't you deal with sin? And all of a sudden this thought came to my mind, okay, you want me to deal with sin, Anthony? You have family members that don't believe me yet. And you know if I deal with sin that I have to deal with them. And you know what the scriptures teach. Do you want me to hold back my wrath a little while longer? Which means that I will be the recipient of sin against me. Uh, whether it's government, whether it's friends, whether it's family, even sometimes people in the church. We're not perfect. Scripture never says we're perfect. And I had to go, okay, God, I guess I'm going to live in this sinful world while you hold back your wrath. Now, you might go, well, this sounds like a horrible story, but it's not the end of the story. I want to explain to you this morning that God wants to be with you. We've, we all know Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. His rod and his staff are going to be with me. Like, what is that? So in this sinful world where bad things happen, what, like how does God work in that? How does he work with us? How does he grow us? And, and let me follow this whole statement up with a question for you. Are you aware that God wants to grow your character? I mean, you can probably see where I'm going. Are you aware that God wants to grow your character? And, and how do we make sense of Romans 8.28? All things work together for good for those that love God. Does that mean nothing bad ever happens to us? No, it doesn't. And we're going to see this morning with 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, 
how God of this universe, who's holding back his wrath to sin, takes persecution and turns it to the glory and the growth of the character of the people so that they grow in grace and love for one another. This is a flipping upside down of what normally happens in this world. Normally, stress and hardship and difficulties brings out the worst in us. But if we lean in relationship and in the filling of the Holy Spirit and and lean hard into his grace and experience his grace, then we get his peace, then we get transformation, and then God begins to point out character flaws and he begins to grow us in our character. Last week we saw in the text that if we're not experiencing God's grace in an ongoing relationship with God, then we will never receive the peace we desperately long for. This world is not our home. We have to get over that. We have to understand that. Quit trying to pretend like this is heaven, because it is not. In fact, the text is really clear when things will come and everything, and the wrath will be released, and everything will be made right. Last week we finished off with verse four of Second Thessalonians chapter one. And today we're gonna pick up verse five, and I just wanna read the text first and then kinda go into a little bit of a dissection of it. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse five. All this now is evidence that God's judgment is right, and I'll explain that in a bit. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. He's repeating what he's already said. God is just. What? But I'm suffering. How can God be just? He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. So a couple of thoughts. Jumping back to the sermon last week, in verses 3b we read these words, your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. This is God taking evil, this is God taking hardship, this is God taking pain and turning it to glory, turning it to grace, turning it for love for each other. This goes against any logic you could ever come across in this world. Their faith was growing, and their love for each other grew. And this was during persecution. So how does this happen? I I think we need to get our minds around the next verse that kind of explains all this, starting with verse five. It, It really comes down to us understanding that God is actually ultimately in control. And he's allowing sin right now in the world so that man can come to know Jesus. But for the Christian, you're gonna find that sin actually works for our good too. All the stuff we go through, all the hardships. And I will tell you, the devil's in there like a dirty shirt. And he will try to make sin and things happen against you into a lie that ends, you, ends up you being bound up and, and hurting and, and get mad at God and mad at other people. But if we understand this principle that God is in control ultimately, I think it will really help us. Listen to this. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. 
Now, when I looked at a lot of commentaries, um, they said likely this is referring to the stuff that's already been said, could be referring to stuff coming, but likely it's referring to stuff that's already been said, and we see how they are growing in grace and love. And this is evidence of God's judgment being right. In other words, letting the sin happen, letting things go, it's actually been good. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Do you see character development in that? Do you think God wants to grow your character and my character? I absolutely believe he does. And he reveals our ugly sides just when we need it to be revealed. I'm so glad I find God really patient. It's usually one thing at a time he works on. Ultimately, though, this text is saying their endurance and growth proves God chose the right people for the job, and the struggles they're going through are growing them. And for us, it's so hard to understand God's economy. He is so smart, God is so smart, that even when we are persecuted or treated badly, he can turn the hardship and use it for our growth and for our own glory. Even death has no sting, the scripture says. And I really believe it comes down to character development in this world. When I was 19, I, uh, and I, I was gonna try really hard not to say some of this, but I'll say it anyway. I was dating a girl, yes, it was one of those 12 girls. And her dad, uh, when he found out I was dating his daughter, he pulled me, I remember sitting at the dining room table, I remember where the house was in Langley, and uh, he looks across the table and he goes, you know that we're a solid Christian family. And I, I've often thought about that. I know that people would describe me that. They would go, you don't look like a Christian. I'd go, well, what does a Christian look like? And, uh, and I said, well, what do I look like? Well, you look like a druggie. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And I didn't know whether to take it. So I think he was worried for his daughter. I had a bit of long hair, and I wore clothes that were, you know, fashionable back then, I guess. And uh, it just freaked him out. And uh, I was trying to be cool, but I wasn't cool, I'll say that. I, I tried to make it sound like I was cool, but I wasn't. I was a guy that tried to look cool, and it looked like I was trying to look cool. Anyway, so he puts the background and said, you know, we are a good, strong Christian family. What are your motives? Why are you dating my daughter? What are your intentions? All that stuff. I remember going away going, man, this is so cool to be in a family that loves their daughter so much. Well, eventually she broke up with me, like all of them did. no. Here's the thing that just blew my mind a few years later. This father walked away from his family and his church for another woman. And I don't know his whole story. I don't know what his marriage was like. And I'm not trying to be judgmental on you if you feel you had to do that. But I, I was devastated. It's the first time as a fairly new Christian that it happened where somebody that I thought was incredible and godly just walked away from everything. I mean, for whatever reason, he felt he had no choice. More recently, I think it was about three years ago, we heard the story of Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels was kind of one of those guys I looked up to as a pastor. He's the one that kept me going. He, he helped me understand uh, uh, some, some things of how to manage a church, how to grow a church. Uh, I thought so high of him. And, and, and see, it became very clear, though, that his public life and his private life were two different things. I, I'd had a clue of it because I had a roommate years ago in a conference, and he had worked with Bill Hybels, and he told me Bill was a hard man. 
And so I already knew that some of his management style was rough, uh, but then it came out that some of his sexual private life wasn't great either. And, uh, and, and so I, I just sat there again and went, well, well what, what, how does this happen? Like, how can I make this not happen to me? And then just this week, I'm reading about uh, Rabbi Zacharias, and you guys know, I've talked about him before. I had him for a whole week of classes once. There was only like five or 10 of us in the class, and I thought I got to know the guy really good, and I, I used to listen to him all the time, and he had such humility, and he was so loving. And, and then it's come out this week that he had this whole, even his family didn't know. He had two cell phones. He was uh, uh, grooming women to be whatever. And I, I didn't read the whole report because I was just devastated. I thought, how does this happen, God? How does this public life and private life thing happen? Oh, by the way, if you're a parent, do you know one of the number one reasons why kids walk away from the faith? It's when parents have a home life that doesn't match their public life. And so I've always known that, so I, I, on occasion, would ask my kids, does my home life match my public life? I want to be a man of character, and I don't mean a character as in, oh, look at he's coming, this isn't going to be very fun, oh, we'll put up with him. I mean a godly character, that's what I want. I, I want my private life when nobody's looking to match what I present publicly, and since these few people I've known that have kind of fallen, I, I just ask God, oh God, I know you want my character to grow, and would you keep growing it? Because I want to do the Billy Graham thing where I die with a legacy. I, I don't want my whole work for 30, 40 years to end in this lurid, like, do you know what Anthony was really like? Listen again to these words. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God desires to see you grow and mature as we saw last week. And I, I, I hopefully you saw how we were, we were trying to see how it, all the stress we go through, it pushes us to, to have our real person bubble out. Doesn't it? When, when you're stressed, I mean, my wife, uh, often if I start getting snarky and short with her, and I have never abused my wife, and have I ever yelled at her? I'm sure I must have. Oh, my kids will say, yes, I have. Uh, we yell at each other sometimes. So we're not perfect, not trying to say anything. But she notices if I get a little snarky with her, she'll say, what's going on? You know, stress and trouble, it just bubbles out. And by the way, um, one of the things I do understanding that God wants to grow my character is, uh, when, when, especially when I'm in stressful things, I'll be going, okay, God, obviously I got this character flaw. And then I'll look for a scripture verse that goes otherwise to it, and I'll put it on my mirror. Nobody's allowed in my bedroom, uh, in my master bathroom, because I don't want you to see what I'm working on in my character. But I believe God wants to grow me, and I believe God wants to grow you, and he's going to use persecution, he's going to use hardship, he's going to use difficulty, he's going to do, use marriage trouble, he's going to use everything, and he's going to grow your character. I, I pray that my life, my orthodoxy, or my theology, my right thinking, would also be my orthopraxy. Now that basically means theology that's actually lived out and we behave the way we're supposed to. But let me give you a warning. If you do this without being connected to the vine, if you try to imitate Christian character, you will fail. 
And when I have that verse on my mirror on my wall in my bathroom, I don't think there's one on there right now, actually. But if I have a verse on there, I look at it and I go, okay, you know, whatever it might be, you know, be long-suffering or be patient. And I'll be going, God, I've struggled with patience the last few days. Holy Spirit, that that living water inside, would would you just come bubbling out? I want to grow in patience. I want to be more patient. Can you work on me from the inside out? Can you fill me? And, and to be reading his word and letting, letting the scripture, memorizing the verse and just letting it, you know, cut even to the marrow of my bone, this is, this is so important. And I so desperately need the relationship with God because if I don't have the relationship, I will come across phony and fake and possibly have a double life. I want to have a transformational relationship with the Father. Uh, my mother-in-law, by the way, as we move on into the next text, my mother-in-law would always say that God is the keeper of the books. I mean, I would be describing, oh, I just worked for this guy and he refused to pay me. And she'd go, God is the keeper of the books. Listen to the scripture as it goes on. Verse six, God is just. What? Wait a minute, I just got cheated. Somebody sinned against me. I just got abused. I just got yelled at. I just got fired. I got accused of something I didn't do. God is just? And you get mad at God and you go, God's not just. Well, listen, we're in a sinful world with people sinning against us, God holding back his wrath. But I want to understand with you from the text, listen to this, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Did you know that? I have actually seen it happen immediately, sometimes. But in the context of the text, it it, says it, it's going to happen a little bit. But, but this passage reminds me of Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Oh, by the way, Romans chapter 12, the first three or four verses, which are really awesome, but the part that talks about our character and our personality, but I'm just going to read just a few verses, and it says in verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. That's the world's way. Be careful what to do is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Ouch. Hey? Yeah, but I don't like the way they're behaving. I don't like what they're doing. I don't agree with what they have. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. What? That's the world, right? But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, and then he gives a whole bunch of list of stuff that you should live like. That would be one of those passages to memorize and put on your mirror. If you're feeling like taking revenge, if you're bitter, if you're upset, if you're angry. If Satan's trying to put thoughts into your head like, I will never let so-and-so do that, or that do this to me. Or I will never let a doctor, I will never let a lawyer, I will never let a Christian, I will never let a pastor. Don't make agreements with the devil that he puts in your head. So if you're struggling with hurt or anger or paranoia, uh, just study a passage like Romans 12. In the least, read it every day and ask God to work inside you to achieve genuine external behavior. Whatever your current struggles are, these will come to an end, the scriptures declare. God will sustain you and give you peace right now. And in the future, it's going to even get better. God will also bring you relief. We will, as the scriptures declare, have times of refreshing. Hang in there. And let your character be developed. God has chosen the right person in you. 
He has begun a work and will carry it on to completion. Philippians 1, 6 is so clear about that. He cares about you. He wants to grow you. He wants to make you more mature. He, he, you might be saying to yourself, okay, I'm 60 years old now. I, it's just my, my, my weakness. Everybody knows that. I just get a little hot under the collar. No, that's a character flaw. God wants to grow that. And I have lots of stuff. God, just ask the staff, stuff God's growing in me. I got to watch a testimony this week. It was from uh, Main Street Church in Chilliwack, and you probably could go on their sermons from last Sunday and see the testimony if you like, but I didn't get permission to share it, so I, I won't, but I'll just try to describe it. It was, it was a, I would call her young, but of course I'm 60, so anybody under like 50 is young to me. Um, so I think she was around 30. She began to talk about being sexually abused as a child and the pain it caused her, and the lies that came into her head that she was unworthy, worthless, and the anger and hatred that she had. And she turned to drugs and alcohol as a teenager. And uh, she had had a couple of kids, and she was living on the streets. And she ended up in a, I don't know if it, what kind of recovery house or whatever it was. And she had this experience, and, and she never talked about having any church background or anything, so I don't know how this all came about. But she said, I had this God encounter where Jesus showed up, and she said, I was just absolutely and utterly overwhelmed with his love. Like, I, I fell down on my knees. And she said, at that point, I received Jesus. I accepted Jesus. She said, my life didn't fully change. I went into a Christian recovery house. And I began to work through all my issues and all my stuff, and I, I began to see how God can actually use all this stuff to the good and to his glory. And then she talked about this. She said, okay, she said, I still was struggling, though, with the fact that God is sovereign, God's in control, ultimately everything's under his care, and yet this man sexually abused me when I was a helpless little child, and she was angry at God. And so one day in prayer, she said, okay, God, where were you? And then she broke in tears, and she said, God gave her an image of this little girl sitting on a bed. It was me, she said. And Jesus was sitting beside me with his arm around me. And he said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. And you might go, well, is that enough? That, that's Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. You, you know, God wants to intimately be with you in your trouble. He wants to grow you. He wants to develop you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to give you care. And honestly, we are going to have times of refreshing. God wants to walk with us. Now, this is a really old illustration. Anybody remember the footprints poem? Now, everybody over 40, put up your hands. We all know the footprints poem. If you're younger, you can Google it. It's basically a story of a woman walking on the beach, and the, the footprints represent her life, and there's two sets of footprints, and then there's just one set of footprints, and she asks God and goes, where were you when I was alone? And Jesus says to her, when there's only one set of footprints, that's when I carried you. You know, God is with us in our pain. He's with us, I, I mean, literally. And, and I told you my image of a grade one pain I had, and when God gave me a picture, Jesus had this great big coat, and he was actually surrounding me and protecting me from the, the leering eyes of my classmates and the condemnation of my teacher, and it was unbelievable. It just overwhelmed me. It changed me, because I understood that God has always been with me. And we will have times of refreshing. Verse 7 says, and give relief to you who are troubled. And to us as well. 
This will happen, he describes when, and this is important to get, you know, I will argue in a moment that we get times of refreshing now, but you need to know ultimately what's going to happen when God's wrath is finally held back no longer and he releases his wrath and sin is taken care of. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. God, friends, is the keepers of the book and there will be times of refreshing. It's not, it does not mean that we don't get some relief now. It just means that ultimately God will say, enough. Read the book of Revelation, it's full of it. Although his grace and peace are for here and now, and that grace and peace that we experience, it will override the external trouble, we need to understand that there actually is times of refreshing. Acts 3.19 says this, Repent then, and this is written, this was an evangelistic message recorded, so it was non-Christians it was written to. I believe it applies to Christians because I saw at our Set Free weekend as Christians were repenting then, and they were turning to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. God wants to be with you. He wants to walk through those valleys. He wants to be there in your hilltops and your mountaintops. He wants to grow your character. He wants you to be a way better person. On top of all that, let this soak in. Ultimately, in blazing fire, he's going to come with his powerful angels. I find it interesting when I read the book of Revelation, there's 22 chapters, and it's like there's battles, there's like, like nuclear bombs kind of things, there's, there's horsemen that are killing, there's plagues and judgment, there's Satan rising up, and it, it can be a little overwhelming, but you get to chapter 22, the very second or third last verse, and it says in verse 22 of chapter 22, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon, remember that, friends, he is coming soon, amen, the writer writes. Come, Lord Jesus. The old nature that was once us is not inclined, let's be honest, to being compassionate or forgiving or selfless. These all take, these kind of characteristics take the work of the Holy Spirit as we dwell with God in relationship. I was a camp counselor in between grade 11 and 12, Camp Sagatau at Moberly Lake. It was the first time, so I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I had a good home. In fact, I was on the front pew. My parents are gone, and I, I asked God to give my dad a message. My stepfather, thank you for giving me a good protective home. So I had a good home, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So I became a Christian at seven or eight years old, and this was the first time I got to be sort of totally immersed with other believers around me. So we had a wonderful camp director that summer. I don't remember his name. But we would have devotions as counselors every morning, I think at nine o'clock, and he would give us some word. We'd pray together. We'd break into small groups and pray. Then we'd have chapel twice a day. I would teach the kids at night before bed something from the Bible, and we had an hour to go spend time by ourselves with God. And so I remember they had this boathouse, and I'd go up there with my Bible. So this was, I just want to say, after eight weeks of that, I was not the same person. I was... I was so changed, my character developed, and I was, I was more, now, now up until that summer, I was a super shy guy, and you're going, you shy? Yeah, I was terrified to open my mouth with anybody. 
and especially girls. Started dating more girls after that. Maybe that wasn't so good. But that summer changed me, and, and it, I remember going home, and I, my parents could see it in my face. I was, I just had joy in my eyes. Two months later, so what happened? So I was no longer in the environment. I was back in my old life. I wasn't reading my Bible anymore. I wasn't praying. I wasn't spending an hour away with God. Two months later, sort of feeling empty inside, I got drawn back into my old crowd, and uh, I can remember uh, the night I, I went out. I was teaching Sunday school in grade 12, and I just quit going to church like one week. And it wasn't that I made a decision, I hate God or anything, because I didn't. I just, I, I just had lost the fire in me, the spirit fire. And, and I, I, I started partying, and I started doing drugs, and it was just a horrible experience. And I was so pleased this day that God never let me get a girlfriend, because I don't think I had good intentions with that even. Uh, my character had definitely stepped back a lot. I was not that guy that I saw after Camp Segatawa. And uh, by January, it was just getting so bad. I was so lonely. I had no friends anymore. I'd walked away from the church. And uh, by February, I remember the night, I went to a friend's house, and there was a drug there that I, I don't even want to say what it was. I'm not sure. But I had only at that point ever done a little bit of marijuana and mostly alcohol. And uh, whatever it was, it scared me to death. I mean, it was the most terrifying experience. And I don't even want to get into it. It scared me so much that finally after a couple hours of driving around trying to get this stuff out of my system, I drove home. I live five miles out of town. I drove into a field. I rummaged through the deck or the dash of my car. I found an old Keith Green. Now you have to be old to know who Keith Green is. I put the cassette tape in, and in my coming out of this drug stupor, listening to Keith Green, I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it on my own. I need you back in my life. And I want to tell you, have I had dry points in my life? Yes. Whenever I've quit reading the word and connecting to the vine, I, I've got myself into a state a few times, but I have never been in that state since then. And I've had Camp Segatau experiences over and over again. Character development, transformation, change, that river of life flowing from the inside of me. See, this is what God has for us in this broken, sinful downcast world. He wants to grow you. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you. And I don't know where you're at here this morning. And you might be mad at God. You might resonate with the whole idea that there's sin in this world. You might have had somebody do something horrendous and if you are a Seven out of ten women that have been sexually abused, I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I, I can't even tell you I know what that would feel like. Or if you're a guy that's gone through that, or, or even if you were physically abused over and over as again as a, as a wife or as a child, a son or a daughter, I can't even imagine how much hurt, disappointment, frustration, and even going, God, where were you? But I am confident of this. These times are refreshing. God wants to give you words from the scriptures. God wants to give you uh, uh, joy and, and grace and, and love for one another that's growing even in the hard times. And God wants to grow your character. He, he wants you to have Camp Segatau all the time. 
The only person stopping that, let's be honest, looking in the mirror, is the lack of discipline for me. God wants to grow you. God wants to encourage you. And in the end, he's not going to hold back his wrath anymore. In the end, it'll all be made. And that just inspires me. Every time I hear more evil, I go, man, I've got to tell more people about Jesus. I need this stuff to end. So here's a conclusion. God is working. You need to understand this. God is working all the angles to grow you in character. There's nothing you've gone through that can't be turned to his glory. Think about it. You're the disciples. Your master's been killed and tortured. And what did God do with that? The most horrific, I mean, you'd think the devil had won, but third day he rose from the dead. This is God's, he's in the business of resurrections. Secondly, the choice is yours in the free will God gave you. The choice is yours in the free will God gave you. You can either have a little bit of discipline, spend some time connecting with the Lord, letting that river of life flow in you, or you can try the whole drugs and stuff and alcohol, maybe get addicted to TV and garbage on the internet. And thirdly and lastly, are the hard things in life going to grow you or destroy you? I'm sorry, but there's hard things in this life. There's sin in this world. There's sin in this church. There's a sin in your pastor that comes out sometimes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I can pray with confidence because I have experienced it that you want to answer the question, where were you, God, when? You want to speak through the scriptures to us? Oh, no, God, I've experienced that so many times where there's been a Bible verse I've read that just, oh, it just hit my heart so well. It resounded in my soul. There's sometimes you've given me images, not a lot, but I've had enough that it's been just unbelievable. Where were you, God? I had that moment when I was asking, where were you, God, when I was in my plane crash? And you gave me an image for that. And I am confident that you, God, in intimacy with us, through the blood of Jesus, through the the death and resurrection of Jesus, through the resurrected power, you are in relationship with us. We've been reconciled. And you, in intimacy, want to minister to us. Uh, Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are there with us. Your rod and your staff, they guide us and comfort us. Forgive us, God, for using all the tools of the world and even the thinking of the world and excusing our character. Let us read your word like Romans 12 and and, and let us be those kind of Christians who are spirit-filled and transformed change. And again, God, I'm never gonna for a minute think that I or say that I'm even close to perfection because I still have so much growing to do. But God, you are wanting and desiring to give us times of refreshing. And let us see the truth that there will come a day when everything will be made right. And even now you're doing that. Every once in a while you step in and say, that's far enough. That's enough. And so in the name of Jesus, would you speak to us now and this week as we actually get some self-discipline to connect with you, as we memorize your word, as we pray prayers of intimacy and and relationally, not just give me this, give me that, Lord, but actually, God, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I know you can do it, God. I've experienced it. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.
I just want to finish off before I ask you to stand. It says, you know, if you ever think, it, and somebody asked me, because in the thread of my birthday, one church threw me a 40th surprise birthday party, and I actually don't like being the center of attention. You might find that surprising because I'm a pastor sharing my heart. Uh, I do that because God's called me to do that. But I don't like being the center of attention. And, and you may be thinking, A, man, he sure brags a lot. No, I, if you listen, I brag about the Lord, what he's done in my life. I don't brag about me. You know, the only time I can brag about me is I said yes to the Lord. That's the only thing I can brag about. And even that is, you, yeah, that's another whole theology rabbit trail. We'll let uh, some of the PRBI professors go there with you. But if you think that, man, it happens to Anthony or, or Dallas, he got a car, or, or, you know, she felt called to give some money in five times. No, God works like that with all of us. If you only knew what's between these ears, the insecurity that I have, some of the pain I've had to work through, if you only knew, you would honestly say, wow, you're a walking miracle, I am. And you can be too. And we have an altar here. We have a couple of people that uh, both sets of these people, I can tell you, would love to pray with you. If you just want to come and say, you know what, I've had this thing in my head. Could you just, you just pray for you? And by the way, Mel's prayed for you. He's one that helped me see some stuff when I was in kindergarten. You need prayer, come up here. Sometimes people just come up just to pray, just to get on their knees and pray. And that's what this altar's for. And so please, please do that. And, and steps forward. Make a decision right now that you're going to actually get with the Lord every day. And, and if you've been waiting till nighttime and you're exhausted, do it first thing in the morning or lunch, whatever. Figure out a time. Get with the Lord. And then start trying to learn to pray without ceasing, like always connecting with him. And for goodness sake, get involved in a life group. Uh, I think both these couples run life groups or in life groups at least. I think they both lead their own life groups. Uh, life groups are real, that iron sharpens iron, encouraging each other. Uh, it's really important, that close connection. And, and finally, try to come to church as much as you can and be a part. You know what? We're not complete without you and you're not complete without us. That's the way the scriptures teach. So would you please stand with me? 1 Thessalonians 5.23 always says it so well, and now may God himself, the God of peace, may he sanctify you. So this actually takes a lot of pressure off you. You're going, oh man, I don't know if I can do this. I'm such a failure. You know, if, if you just would relax and let God work in you, he wants to sanctify you through and through so that your whole spirit, soul, and body could be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, God is faithful. And he will do it. Amen? Amen. Fellowship in peace.